Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Comfort. Everybody say comfort. Comfort, right? Everybody in your mind, you have, probably have your own perspective of what being comfortable looks like. Um, you probably have your idea. Maybe for some of you, it's being able to sit out on the back porch and have a fire during this beautiful Michigan weather, right? That's your idea of comfortable. From where I'm from in Texas, if you go sit outside in September on the back porch for a fire, you're sweating because it's still 85 and 90 degrees. Um, and so that idea of comfort's not really there. But everybody has this idea of comfort. Most of us, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us don't wake up each, each and every single day and say, how can I be the most uncomfortable I can be today? Does anybody wake up feeling like that? If so, we've got free counseling available, right? No, we don't wake up and say, how can I be the most uncomfortable that I can today? If anything, we wake up and say, how can I make my life comfortable today? What can I do today that will bring about some sort of feeling of being comfort, comforted? Maybe you don't use that word comfortable, but that's really kind of the American dream. It's kind of the American pursuit, this cultural pursuit of let's do things that are comfortable, right? For everybody who watches services online, it's really comfortable. I really enjoyed it back in the day, right? Get to just wear pajamas and have coffee the whole morning and just kind of relax. It was super comfortable for me to worship on Sundays, right? What's the uncomfortable experience? Having to come and wear a mask all morning long. Having to come and kind of lean in my ear with every single person I talk to because you guys don't talk loud enough behind your masks, right? Having to deal with my kids who say, why do I have to wear a mask everywhere we go, dad? Why do I have to wear this? Why do I have to sit in the service with you, dad? Or not really me, more my wife, but why do I have to sit in the service? Why can't I go to kids programming? The reality is, is that we live in times of being uncomfortable. And that's just what, we, what we're faced with. And we have to accept the fact that life is uncomfortable. I think we're on about week one for some, week two for others, week three and four for others. But are there any parents here in the room this morning that feel a little uncomfortable over the last several weeks of school? One parent, that's it? Come on, there's got to be more than that, right? Be honest with yourselves. It's a little uncomfortable right now right? You've got kids who are like making faces, don't know how to use the mute button, and they're screaming, and everything's loud, and your kid is like, I got to go to the bathroom. I need a snack. I need a drink. I need to do all these things. While at the same time, the teacher's on there saying, listen, 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 put yourselves on mute. Like it, th there's just all sorts of stuff right now for parents where it's really uncomfortable, okay? Can I give you a quick newsflash? It's just kind of like throwing a, a props and shout out to all of our teachers in the room. Did you know that teachers, I, I, I've talked to a few, that teachers don't wake up and say, how do I make life uncomfortable for my uh, students and their families today? They don't wake up thinking that. If anything, some of those teachers are waking up saying, goodness, I've got my kids, I've got pressure from my leaders, and I've got all these kids, and I've got all the kids' parents that are now involved in my teaching session right? They live in a place of being uncomfortable. So let's all just kind of accept this fact. Everybody is uncomfortable. Everybody say uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Let's own it and not be afraid to admit the fact that maybe some of us are a little stressed out. 
right? I got a text from some great friends who said, hey, are you going to judge us if we come out of this season with one less kid than we started the season with? (laughs) Will we be judged for that, right? Obviously, it was a joke, and obviously, it was something that was just being funny. But the reality and the emotion is real and sincere. We're really uncomfortable right now. So what do we do as a church? How do we approach this as a church when we're in this this world of being uncomfortable? How are we, the church, supposed to engage? Do we just go completely opposite and say, no, everything's fine, everything's fake, and everything is, you're just making stuff up. (laughs) This is is just all make-believe and pretend, y'all. Do we act like that? Or do we take the, the, the approach of, oh, yes, life is terrible. We are sheltered in place. Like, we can't do anything. Like, oh, oh, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. Everything in this world is against me. I hate everything. Oh, I can't do anything. Either one of those examples, do either one of those examples really communicate the hope that we have as Christians, the hope that we have in the gospel? Do either one of those responses Show people, wow, there is something different about following Jesus. You can actually have hope. As we navigate the uncomfortable season we're in, I'll be, I'll be the first, I'll be super honest with you, right? I don't know if this is breaking news or headlines, but um, I had COVID, right? And while my symptoms were very mild and my experience with the disease itself was not anything to write a story about, what it did for me was it revealed this depth in this level of ugliness, anxiety, fear that crept up out of my heart that I really didn't know was there. And none of it had to do with how sick am I gonna get? None of it had to do with, oh, how am I gonna endure through all of this, all of the ailments? It had everything to do with the social implications of being a positive person with COVID. I got to call these people. I have to tell these people. I have to try not to, you know, I have to uh, go uh, be proactive and say, oh, I can't, I don't really know if I'm sure or not, if I have it or not. I've been tested. I have to wait three or four days before I can get a result, but I don't really know, right? I had to think about the implications of my wife and my kids and all of the other ramifications that has as far as their ability to be around people and the anxiety and the shame that came about from it. I didn't even know was there in my heart. And God used this uncomfortable season, this uncomfortable two weeks, it's actually more like eight days, but this uncomfortable eight days of my life to say, hey, guess what? There's some issues in your heart that you haven't dealt with yet. You need to know that it's there. And you need to present it before me. And this is something for us to work on together, Alex. I had brothers in Christ who I would call and just kind of vent and just kind of share. And they had to challenge me directly and say, hey, do you realize what's coming out of your mouth? Do you realize that you think you're typhoid Mary? Don't think so highly of yourself. Relax a little bit, okay? You're being kind of selfish in your your perspective of this. And you're really, really, really anxious. God calls you not to worry. Jesus says, present this stuff to him. Why are you not doing that, Alex? In these moments of accepting that we are uncomfortable, God uses those moments to say, I have something for you. I have something I want you to learn. I have something to continue to give you hope and purpose and meaning in life. 
So, when we look at God's word, what we see is that he uses these moments of being uncomfortable, and he says, I want you to endure. And I don't want you to give up. Church, don't give up. The Apostle Paul was one of, um, probably not one of, he was the most prolific figure when it comes to uh, the early church starting. Uh, he would go and plant churches. He would go and send people that he trained and discipled to go and plant churches. And then he spent his ministry career writing letters back to these churches saying, hey, I've heard of these things. Let me correct you in the way that a shepherd should correct you. Let me encourage you in the way that you should be encouraged. Let me, let me give you words of wisdom and let me remind you of who it is that you follow. Let me remind you of why it is that you even exist as a church. And so he wrote this letter in the book of Colossians. That's what this is. It is a letter. And he's writing to this church. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go through uh, this first chapter. And I want to highlight for you how Paul really sets the theme and tone for us to not give up here in this first chapter. So go with me to your Bibles. If you have a Bible with you or if you have a mobile device, uh, go ahead and open it up to Colossians. Now, before we jump into kind of the meat of our scripture, I want to read to you, kind of give you some context for this church and really the way that Paul identified uh, who they were in, 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 in theological realms and preaching realms, right? There's something that we call the Pauline sandwich. Everybody say sandwich. Sandwich. I did not plan to have people repeat that, but in the first service, my son was starting to act a little crazy. So when I said sandwich, he perked up, and I said, repeat it. So uh, help you stay engaged a little bit. Think about a sandwich. You can go eat lunch here in a little bit, kiddos, all right? Uh, so uh, the Pauline sandwich goes like this. He'll give you the first piece of bread, and it is being encouraging. He's just loving on you, saying, hey, you're doing so great. Things right now are good for you. We've heard great things about you. This is all really, really, really good. And then he puts the meat on there, right? That real thin slice, medium, or that uh, rare roast beef, a little bit of uh, mayonnaise on there with really nice rum. Anybody getting hungry yet? Um, he puts that meat, the good stuff, in the middle of the sandwich. And he says, hey, I want to challenge you with something. I want to call you out on something. I want to bring to light for you something that I've also heard that's really not correct and you need to deal with it. And then he puts that final piece that final piece of bread on the top, the top layer, and he says, and let's just be reminded I love you. Let's be reminded that Jesus loves you. Let's be reminded that we have a hope and a future. So that's the Pauline sandwich, right? If you want to impress your Bible friends, you can say, hey, have you heard of the Pauline uh, sandwich, uh, you know, literary uh, tool? Um, but that's what he does. And that's what he's doing here. He's kind of laying this first layer. He's saying, hey, we have heard good things about you. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Uh, verse three, he says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you because or since, because since we heard of your faith in Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Right off the bat, Paul starts the letter and he's saying, hey, we've heard great things about you as a church. You guys have been doing really great stuff. Your faith is strong in Jesus. Your love for other people, we've, we've heard about it in the region that we're in. He's highlighting the goodness of this church. He's saying, you guys have been doing such great stuff already. This is good stuff. He goes further and he says, listen, the gospel has been bearing fruit in your midst. It's been at work amongst you as a church. We've seen good things come from your church because of your uh, uh, faithfulness and your obedience to Jesus. 
And then he goes on, and this is where we're going to start kind of our, our focus. In verse 9, he says, And so, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, let's pause there for a moment, okay? Um, whenever you say, or whenever people speak of, like, hey, can you pray for me, or will you pray for me? Um, it's often rooted in sometimes like a negative connotation, right? Or in other words, when we, when we ask people to pray for us, it's usually because we have a need, Hey, I need you to pray for me because I'm going through this in my family. Hey, I need you to pray for me because my kids are just, I, I'm going to lose whatever hair I have left on my head, right? I need you to pray for me because I'm going through this, this illness. I need you to pray for me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How often do we go to people and we say, hey, can you pray for me? God's just been so, so good, and I am so thankful for all that he's done. Will you thank God on my behalf? Do we, do we approach people like that? Do we go to people and say, hey, I, can I just tell you how good God has been? So when you pray, will you just thank God for the amazing blessings he's had in the life of this family over here? I don't do that. I don't do that enough. But right here, Paul, Paul's not correcting the church yet. He's already saying, you guys are doing so much great stuff. Listen, and when I pray for you, I thank God even more for you. Always always. And then he goes on and he says, we've not ceased to pray for you. And here's what it is I've been praying for you, church. He says that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and that you would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The first truth, the first thing we have to embrace is that there is no end. Don't go pessimistic on me quite yet, okay? There is no end in our pursuit of Jesus. We can never stop pursuing Jesus. Let's highlight that and think about that for a moment. Paul just got done saying, this is good stuff happening in the life of this church. The, the gospel is bearing fruit. People know you about your love. They know of your faith. All of these things are really, really good about you. And then Paul's first thing to them is saying, I will always pray for you because guess what? I want you to have more and more understanding of God's will for your life. So if the Apostle Paul, writing this letter, is telling this church it's doing everything right, it's doing really good stuff, he starts off and says, I want to pray that you would continue to pursue Jesus. I want to pray that you continue to grow and understand things of him. How are you and I structuring, ordering our lives in that same manner? Think about that. If we embrace the truth that there is no end to our pursuit of Jesus, if we embrace that truth, does your life reflect that? If you're in business, right? And if you're in a good business model and a good business setting, you probably have goals that you put out in front of your organization, right? You say, you know, Q1 all the way to Q4, this is what I want to see. I want to see percentage growth here. I want to see, you know, debt go down here. I want to see all of these things. And I want to hit all of these goals at all of these different markers because in order to do all that, then, I'll know I'll, then I will know that I have been successful in my endeavor as a business leader, right? You set goals and objectives for yourself, right? Have some head nods, right? This is good business 101. Set goals, okay? Kids, you want to impress your teachers, I learned on Sunday, set goals in life, okay? Good model to remember. But you set goals and you work towards those things. 
and your work doesn't stop until you hit those goals. Maybe you structure your calendar to be focused on how do I achieve those goals? Well, y'all, if we embrace the fact that our pursuit of Jesus should never end, do we have those goals set up in our life? Does your calendar reflect that? Do you have some, some time on your daily, weekly calendar that says, focus on Jesus, have a quiet time, read God's word, uh, listen to a sermon, call a brother or sister in Christ and pray. Whatever it is, do you have this value? Have you, have you restructured, have you oriented your life around the truth that your pursuit of Jesus should never end? When I look out in the room, I see, I see young people and I see a couple old people. I'm looking at one in particular, right? I see young people and a couple old people, right? So we, we, we multi-generations, okay? You never stop learning about Jesus, whether you're a five-year-old or a 65-year-old. You never stop. If you're the 65-year-old and you're in the room, right, ask yourself that challenging question, Am I still learning about Jesus? Am I still pursuing Jesus? If you're a five-year-old, ask yourself the same question. How do we do this? How do we structure our lives around this? Our learning of Jesus should never, ever stop. Something else to consider. Um, how are you focused on disciplines in your life? Maybe for some of you, being here this morning, Sunday morning, that's one of your first steps. And praise God for that. Right? This is why we gather together to encourage and challenge and sharpen each other, not to just make you feel comfortable. It's so that you can come and you can learn and you can grow. It's the reason why we always talk about life groups. We want you to be connected with other people because you're not meant to do life alone because life is uncomfortable. And you need brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage you, to challenge you, to spur you on to love and good deeds. Our pursuit of Jesus never stops. I don't know if I can say that enough. Your pursuit of Jesus should never stop. What else does Paul show us here in, uh, in his letter? Look with me um, down in verse 10. Um, he says, I'm, we, we've never so stopped praying for you. We're asking that you be filled with knowledge of his will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is something else that culture doesn't really like to admit. Or something else that culture doesn't really want to talk about. And that is that there's a standard. There's a standard that you and I are called to as followers of Jesus. There's a standard. You have to be able to see something and evaluate yourself against that thing that you see. As Christ followers, our standard is Jesus. There's a standard, there's an expectation that we as Christ followers, if we've confessed, if we profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there's an expectation that we are starting our, making our lives to look like him. Not like what this church over here says you're supposed to do, or what this group over here says you're supposed to do, but you look at the life of Jesus and you say, what did Jesus do? How do I be like him? How do I follow that standard? Culture doesn't like standards because if you have a standard and you don't meet the standard, guess what you feel? Uncomfortable. Guess what, kids? Everybody gets a trophy because you participated. 
that's fine. If the standard is that you just participate in the game, that's fine to give a kid a trophy. It's fine. Sorry, parents, if you have to go talk to your kids about that after the service. Um, But the reality is, is that culture doesn't like to have a standard because we don't like that feeling of not making the cut. We don't like this uncomfortable feeling of not meeting the standard of what's expected, right? Those of us who are parents, I kind of had some expectations and a standard of what I thought virtual learning should look like. Guess what? It didn't get met. And I have to deal with that on my own accord, on my own, um, I have to deal with that internally. Because what I thought was the standard really wasn't the standard. So when we follow Jesus, y'all, listen, we gotta have a standard. We have to have that model that we look at. And what is that, how do we evaluate? How do we really judge and, and hone in on what this looks like? Paul gives it to us. He says, listen, your, your walk with him should be in a manner worthy of him. Your walk should be worthy. How do I know if your walk is worthy? How do you know if your walk is worthy? Think about this. What does unworthy walking look like? What does an unworthy manner look like? If you can think about that, if you can answer those questions, guess what? You'll know if you're walking in an unworthy manner. That Man, it's a tongue tongue twister. Um, You'll be able to know. How do you define what it is to be worthy? Look in God's word. Look at the life of Jesus. How did he walk? Walk like him. Please him, right? That's another thing that Paul says. Please him, okay? Those of you who are in a relationship, guess what? You should think in your mind, how do I please my significant other? Kids in the room, guess what you should do? You should think, how can I please my parents? Can I get an amen, right? When a kid displeases a parent, as a parent, we have a responsibility, right? As parents, we have a responsibility to tell our children your attitude, your actions, your behavior right now are displeasing. I still love you greatly and dearly, and my love for you will not stop. However, I am displeased with your choices. I am displeased with your actions. I am displeased with your attitude. I'm going to discipline you because of that. So when we do that, we're loving and we're parenting our kids well. Y'all, Jesus does the same thing with us. Where he says, I love you, my love for you is secure, my love for you will remain. But listen, the way that you are living, the way that you are acting is displeasing to me. And I have to tell you about that. I have to tell you and show you through the Holy Spirit that you are doing things in such a way that are sinful. As Christians, we have to be willing to accept the fact that part of our goal in following Jesus is that we say, how does my life please him? And how do we know what's worthy? How do we know what's pleasing? The more and more that we look at Jesus, the more and more that we look at his word, the more and more that our our minds are renewed, that our hearts are transformed, that's how we'll begin to know. As we keep going, Paul says, um, he also wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to bear fruit. Church, whether you know her or not, your faithfulness, your generosity to God's church bore the fruit of Shaney finding hope and freedom in Jesus if you gave to the church. 
because it was through your generosity that she was able to hear the message, to be able to respond to the message and have the domino effect occur. That's fruit that's there. For some of you, you're able to see fruit happen because you said, hey, I see you from a distance and you look like you're struggling. Let me call you out and love on you a little bit because I just think maybe there's something that's off with you right now. We're called to be bearing fruit that as Jesus changes us from the inside out, we're gonna see it happen in our life. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated baptisms. We got to celebrate, it was like 10 or 11 people uh, who had their lives transformed, their hearts transformed, and they were being baptized to show everybody why they were there. And before, for everybody that we baptize here at Woodside, we always have them write their stories. And what I like to do with folks is say, hey, I want you to tell us what your life was like before Jesus I want you to tell us what your life was like when you met Jesus. And then I want you to tell us what your life was like after you've met Jesus. Because people need to see and hear and realize that when you come into a saving relationship with Jesus, the way that you once lived should not be there anymore. It should be a new creation. There should be this redemption that happens. You used to be so self-centered and focused. And then all of a sudden, now you're learning how to be selfless and not so focused on yourself. You used to always respond in anger when your kids didn't listen to you. You used to always respond in this rash anger. But now there's this calming ability to say, okay, I'm not going to freak out, but I am going to address their behavior. When we bear fruit in our lives, we should be able to think about, do I do things now in a different way than I did before I met Jesus? Or, even still, if you've been following Jesus for a while, am I progressing in my relationship with him? What I always tell people, if they come to me and they say, hey, pastor, I'm really dealing and really struggling with this stuff. I just can't seem to get away from it. Can't seem to say no to this sin. I just, I just don't know what to do, da, da, da. What I always try to encourage people with is, listen, Jesus is not demanding your perfection. But what Jesus is wanting you to do is to move forward, is to progress are you dealing with things? Are you able to have moments of victory? Are you able to constantly take one little step each and every day, each and every week? Because that's what Jesus wants. That's how we bear fruit. Paul goes on and he says, I want you to increase in your knowledge. I want you to be strengthened, right? Increasing in our knowledge. What's the simple answer, right? Read the Bible, okay? Talk to people about it. Be in Bible study. Say, hey, there's something here that I don't understand. Let me mark it down and then go call somebody or ask somebody, hey, what do you know about this part of the Bible? I don't really know much about it, right? Well, pastor, I don't really know how to do that because I don't really know anybody. Well, hey, go get in a life group. Well, I don't know if people will want to listen to me and talk to me in my life group. Well, open your mouth, be uncomfortable for a few minutes, and then wait and see what God does through your uncomfortable feeling of having to say hi to new people. Increase in your knowledge. Know more of who he is and pursue him. The last thing that we see that Paul tries to address and remind us is that there is also an expectation. Okay, look at verse 11 with me. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Let's pause right there. There's an expectation, church, that as a follower of Jesus, you will have to endure you will have to endure. When you look in the scriptures, nowhere in the New Testament or the Old Testament, nowhere does there say, you will find perfect life, you will find your best life, and you will be completely comfortable. 
and you will worship Jesus all day long because you're so comfortable with your life. Nowhere in here does it say that. If anything, it says the opposite. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of you enduring, guess what? You are glorifying Jesus and other people will see you in that place and then they will have hope that they can get through their hard times as well. You are called to endure. You're also called to endure with a joyful patience. This week, my patience was not so joyful with my kids to where my sweet, loving wife had to (laughs) kind of stomp her foot and say, hey, what's your deal? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm just obviously really short with my kids, all right? I've been around them a lot this week. And as my wife, as my helper, as my friend, she challenged me and said, you need to have a check of your heart. We're supposed to have this joyful patience where it's not that, it's not that we're like Wonderwall children where we're just like, oh, everything is okay. Everything's fine. It'll be totally cool because God's in control. Like, it's not necessarily like that, but it is this expectation that in our patience, we're able to find some sort of joy. Right? What, what uh, joyful patience isn't is saying, well, here we are again. We're still here, and uh, we're never going to get back to normal. Like, it's just, we're just always going to stay here, and it's never going to come back to, like, what it used to be. And, like, this is, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to give up emotionally. I'm going to give up socially. I'm going to give up, for some people, I'm going to give up physically. I'm just done. I'm done with everything. That's not joyful patience. So, expectation that we endure, expectation that we endure with this joyful patience, and an expectation that we have thanksgiving to God in the midst of the crazy, that we have thanksgiving to God to say, thank you. I have no idea why we're in quarantine. I have no idea why, I'm, why I am a virtual parent right now with my kids. I have no idea why I can't go to my job because I have to follow all of the policies that my work has put in place. I have no idea why I'm losing out on business because I can't have face-to-face interaction with people. I have no idea, Father, but you know what? I'm gonna thank you. I'm gonna thank you because I'm still here, because I still have life, because I still have you. And that's what Paul ends with. Paul says, listen, all of these things, the reality that there is no end to our pursuit of Jesus, the reality that there's a standard that we're supposed to live by, the, the, the expectation that we have to endure things with a joyful patience, all of these things is all based in one key thing, and that's the gospel of Jesus. Look right here at verse 13 and 14. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Back up to the second part of verse uh, 12. God our Father, we give thanks to him because he has qualified you. Church, you are qualified because of Jesus. Jesus qualifies you. His death, burial, and resurrection qualified you. Meaning you have the opportunity to do all of these things that Paul is talking about. Meaning that because of Jesus, because of Jesus in your heart and in your life, you have the opportunity to not give up. 
You are already qualified. You have already been delivered from darkness and put into his kingdom. Hey, pastor, I hear that. That's nice and all that, but you, you're not living life in my shoes. My spouse is in the hospital. My kids are crazy. My job is gone. I have no money. How am I supposed to be in this kingdom of, of light, in this kingdom of God? Your heart is secure. Your life is secure. Your eternity is secure because of Jesus. He's already delivered you from all of these things. And you are forgiven because of Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. To where now you have no eternal punishment awaiting you. You have no eternal separation from God awaiting you. But instead, you're redeemed. You're in this right relationship with God now. This is the hope that we are called to have. So how do we not give up? It's not these little cute little like, oh, random things that we'll just remind ourselves of. We have to go back to where it all starts, and it's the gospel of Jesus in our life. If the gospel is truly transformative, if the gospel has truly redeemed our hearts, we can have hope, we can endure, we can continue forward. So church, fellow brother and sister in Christ, don't give up. Things are going to be uncomfortable. Don't give up. Don't give up. And let's be a vessel that God uses to say, hey, what's different about people who follow Jesus compared to everybody else in the world? Let's be a a vessel of hope and a beacon of light for people to say, I want the hope that they have. I want the fortitude that they have. They shouldn't have fortitude. They lost their job. They have no money. Things are going nuts. They shouldn't have any of these things. But why do they have that hope? Why are they not just constantly complaining about things online? It's because of Jesus. When he transformed our hearts and we focus on that truth. So let's be a church that doesn't give up. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.